At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. All right, when we create a manufacturing process, there's different ins and outs and moving parts, and there's a good chance that you're gonna use process steam in a lot of these applications the processing of food, alcohol, pharmaceutical, there is steam involved. So we're going to have this conversation about process steam, not steam for heating, but process steam. And in pharmaceutical, it's got to be like clean steam. And there's different, different types of steam and different pressures and many different applications. So we got Russ Hotrum from Armstrong Fluid Technologies, and he's going to take us through some applications that steam is used when we're processing something. In, in manufacturing. So let's get to this right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group, and I just went in and picked up another round of demo tools. And one that, like, l- listen, I love listening to music when I work, but my cell phone, it's it's good, but it'd be nice to have a larger speaker, like a Bluetooth speaker. So I grabbed this Klein Tools speaker that I thought would be pretty cool. It's compatible with iPhone and Android. Basically, it's Bluetooth. It's quite large. It's like four by four. It's got a magnet and it's got a hook so you can listen to music while you're hanging out on the job louder than the cell phone speaker that you have. If you don't already have like a job site radio, like a DeWalt or a Milwaukee or a Makita or whatever, whatever you have. So these are smaller, more compact and easier to carry around. So Check them out at master and check out master.ca. Cintas has been around for 90 some odd years, providing services to many different industries. One of those services is uniform services, uniform sales, so on and so forth, right? And it's, it's blue collar, salt of the earth type people, bread and butter type people that has built up the cities and towns that we live in, right? We're, we're blue collar. So if you're looking for uniforms for your team, they got this Comfort Flex Pro brand. It's stretchy. It moves with you. It's breathable. I was wearing the pants the other day, and one of the the, the pants has a, a cargo pocket in it, which I enjoy because I've been wearing jeans lately, and I'm missing my cargo pocket. So if you're interested in checking out uniforms for your team, check out Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. S-I-N-T-A-S dot com forward slash HVAC know it all. Check them out, guys. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Russ, my man, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Gary, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And you and I are, we're going to talk about steam. And usually a lot of people think steam is for heating because we're heading into summer here. Like, why are we talking steam? But (laughs) steam is also used as a process for manufacturing, correct? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Yes, that's absolutely right, Gary. It's, uh, it's very vast. It's, uh, 
it's, I had no idea until I got into that business, you know, almost 40 years ago that how much was applied to steam. I thought it was just heating myself. Uh, hmm. Today, not as much heating is used on steam, but it still exists out there. Old churches, community centers. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get, so here's the thing. You're new to the, the show. You haven't been on yet. So I'd like to give your, yourself a little bit of um, an intro just, just for a minute or two, just tell everybody who you are and what you do. Okay, sure. Um, well, my name's Russ Hotrum. I've been, uh, been in this industry almost 40 years. Um, worked for manufacturers like Spirac Sarko, which brings the steam up to us, Watson McDaniel, Bell and & Gossett, and now I'm the technical salesman for Armstrong Fluid Technologies, who is a pump and heat exchanger maker. And my position is to take care of wholesalers, service centers that service our products, um, technical help for contractors, consultants, customers. And that really about rounds it up. Cool. So you have a background. You were, We talked on the phone last week and you were telling me that you have a pretty vast background in the steam industry, right? Yes. Uh, Spyrex Arca was very good to me when I was a young lad and I had good uh, good teachers. They uh, They shipped us all around the world to learn applications, which in my opinion, was the best way to learn anything, whether it's HVAC, process, electronic, digital, whatever, is to be out there in the field walking through boiler rooms and talking to the engineers and asking them questions. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, they, the teaching was invaluable, and, and I still and, – and again, as I mentioned to you, Gary, I, I feel almost a moral obligation to give it back uh, because most of the people that taught me are retired or have passed away or have disappeared. Um, it's becoming a very lost art form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. And I guess that's why Dan Hollihan had that book. It was called The Lost Art of Steam. <laughs> is, is that like, right? Like you okay. mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. Steam heating and steam process are different. So maybe tell us the difference between the two, and then we'll get into what happens during the process of steam or, or what, whatever the application is. We have a few written down. I think anybody that likes beer might want to listen because we'll talk about how process steam works in beer making. Right. So sure. break, break it down the difference between heating and process steam. Typically it comes down to pressure. Um, mostly Gary, it's uh, pre steam heating is typically low pressure steam under 15 PSI. And there, there is that margin there because after 15 PSI, let's call it 16, 17 PSI, it becomes now high pressure steam where you may require an engineer on staff to operate your boiler. Anything under 15 PSI and low capacities do not require an engineer, especially for homes and buildings. So we use low pressure steam because it carries a lot more heat value in the steam itself at low pressure than high pressure does. So there's actually more latent heat in low pressure steam than there is in high pressure steam. So when you're dealing with process steam, which is very high pressure, what its advantage is, I can carry a lot, much, much more capacity of steam in smaller pipes because as the pressure increases, so does the volume of steam decreases. So I can carry it further distances and using much smaller pipe. Once I get to my process, I can... I can reduce that pressure to whatever the requirements are on a cooking vat or in the case of beer making, um, a sterilizer for the bottles, 
uh, the heat exchanger for pasteurizing, things like that. So really the difference between low uh, heating and process steam is typically the pressure. Mm-hmm. Does and that what make sort sense of pressures to you can't... Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Okay. And what sort of pressures can we get up to in process steam? It's unlimited. Um, most of the time when I was uh, selling for Sarco, it would be maximum of 150 PSI, sometimes 300 if it was a nuclear applications. Um, but predominantly 80 to 100 was probably the most high pressure steam that would be out there because, again, it carries... You can use much smaller pipe to carry the capacity to wherever it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 80 to 100, and it's still, that's very considered high-pressure steam, and it's very dangerous, and it can hurt you if it's not utilized correctly. Yeah, no, for sure, and and, and burn you. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. You think burning your hand in hot water hurts? Steam is that much worse. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been I, I could just fortunate imagine. enough to be in the steam industry for a very, very long time. And I've never burned myself. Um, you know, I touched oh, a few hot pipes accidentally and, you know, you get a little singe there. Uh, <laughs> but some of the ways we were checking the steam pipe was by licking my finger and touching the pipe. And if my spit burns off quickly, well, I know that there's live steam in there. I know that it's not hot water anyways. Okay. That sounds very, very old school. Cause nowadays we got these cool thermal imagers we can, point and it can show us <laughs> that's, um, that's I don't very wanna, old school it really is and, and i'm going to mention the gentleman's name that gave it to me it, it's called the fred de boer method of checking steam traps so if you've got a steam trap in your system the hotter side is going to be the steam side when it starts to cool and condense it's going to be condensate it's still hot but it will yeah. not burn off as fast is the spit would on the hot side as it would on the cool side. Now, after a while, I converted to a, a spray bottle, <laughs> and it's just as effective as uh, spit, we'll say. Interesting. So that you actually, the spit thing, yeah, it's obviously kind of like a, a joke, but you actually went to a spray bottle and monitored how fast it would evaporate off the pipe. Exactly, yeah. And you knew at least you had live steam getting to that position on the pipe, Steam is one of those things that you can't really help people over the phone. You've got to be in their plant, following pipe, looking at cold spots, looking for cool spots, and like myself, spraying hot pipes to find the hot pipe. That is that's crazy. <laughs> I never even thought I never even thought that would be a thing. I like I, I I love touching stuff and feeling it and using my senses to troubleshoot, but I didn't actually think of putting spit on your finger or or any type of liquid and watching it evaporate off the pipe that's, that's very interesting <laughs> you can use so a thermometer you... as you mentioned <laughs> oh yeah of course you could use a thermometer yeah. so we did have some equipment but i found if i'm standing there i don't have my equipment with me all the time i could do a quick test for them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so is there anything different because the pressure is different in the type of boiler that we're going to use usually depending on the type of boiler it is like Coil tube boilers, for example, are typically exempt engineering act, meaning that there's not enough capacity or water in these boilers. They can still produce high pressure steam without an engineer, and they can still get across the plant to do its duty. Now, I, my personal opinion of coil tube boilers, that they're excellent, I just don't find that they're as effective as, say, a, an old school um, fire tube or water tube boiler. Um, and I hope there's not too many coil coil boiler guys listening in they're fantastic and again you don't have to have an engineer on staff 
Uh, I just find that they produce a little bit more wet steam than a conventional old style boiler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you for say s- wet steam, what do you what, what do you mean by when you say wet steam? Just just well, for for the audience' sake, we'll we'll just talk about it for a sec. Well, there's a, a term called saturated steam, and and steam does need to have a certain amount of moisture content in it. If it, if it mm-hmm. gets too dry or too hot, it's considered superheat. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a phenomenon because it's very hard to control. So you want some water in there. You don't want flooding waters. You don't want lots of water in there. And I guess you can call a steam system is like a baby. It's uh, if you keep a steam system warm or uh, dry and you keep it burped and you keep it out of water, it's going to perform for you well. Okay. Like in the instant. Okay. I'll ask you a question, Gary. And it's usually what I would ask in classroom is uh, what happens to steam the minute it leaves the boiler? It starts to cool. Exactly. You've got it right. It, It starts to cool and condense immediately. So if we have a long distance to travel to say a brewery, uh, uh, a sterilizer system or a pasteurizing system or a clean in place or whatever the case may be, I want that steam to be as dry as possible, still being saturated steam, but good quality saturated steam doesn't create flood waters because at 80 to 100 PSI, the water becomes like a bullet down that pipe work and it can crash into everything and destroy it if it's not looked after properly. So that's where steam traps come into play. We get rid of the water as it's formed, either mechanically, thermodynamic, or thermostatically, before it reaches its its destination. Okay? Mm-hmm. You also mm-hmm. want to get rid of the air, too, which a lot of steam traps do do that for you. Perfect. Okay. So, superheated steam. I, I thought I, I read somewhere, like, if you're operating a turbine or something that's very sensitive, you want superheated steam. Is that true, or, is, or am I mis interpreting it's, that it's to a degree yes because with it and you mentioned a turbine say let's say it's a, a a cogen system in a hospital or whatever the case may be if there's too many droplets of water if it's a turbine style turbine that's spinning around a million miles an hour it's got those blades on it so if you get two large drops of water flying in there at 100 150 psi to turn a turbine to produce electricity it's going to damage those blades and it's a very expensive procedure to repair. So it's 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 really important to have. I don't know if it w- if I would call it superheated steam, Gary, but it would be extremely dry, saturated steam. Okay, I see what you're saying. Awesome. Okay, so types of processes. There's there's a ton of different types of processes we can we can we've talked about a bunch. So I've I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry on the HVAC and refrigeration <laughs> side, and there were steam boilers in the boiler room. I didn't touch them. They were uh, they were looked after by the manufacturer of that boiler or manufacturer's rep. I, I don't really remember, but I never got involved in the steam side at all. So in pharmaceutical, what would we be using steam for in, in a process? In some pharmaceuticals, and you may be able to agree with this, Gary, is uh, it's very secretive. They don't really want oh, yeah. you to know a whole lot. It's big, like the... Big, uh, the photocopy business, um, they used to blanket all the pipe work off. So I would just be able to see what I need to see and then leave. And half the time I wasn't able to help them because I needed to see further into the pipe work. So pharmaceutical, much like anything else, it would be just the best form of heat transfer 
pretty much on the planet uh, to boil water off into steam, uh, mostly for heat transfer. Now, the last pharmaceutical I dealt with would be from McKay would have been uh, Sanofi. And I know my present company deals with Sanofi now, uh, but mostly okay. on HVAC. But it would be heat transfer to do whatever they're doing with their caplets or their pills to put them through a dye to make a pill form. It needs to be temperature or it needs to be hot enough to be able to go through a dye. And that would just be pill form. Pharmaceuticals make a lot of different things. Yeah. I, and, and I know but that's they, a loaded answer, but it's the pharmaceutical industry is fairly secretive. Oh yeah. No, it, it, it really is. Like it's, I, I would never really learn about what they were actually doing or making or anything like that when I was in there. You'd hear you'd hear rumors sometimes about it. That's correct. But unless unless it was a major project that was kind of public, you know what I yes. mean? You didn't really you didn't really know what they were doing because at one time one of the, the the places I worked at was they were actually manufacturing they were going to manufacture um a COVID-19 vaccine for Moderna. And the project got canceled for whatever reason. But I mean, that was public knowledge. So I knew about that one. But the rest of the stuff, I had no idea what they were doing in there. So and, secretive, and, and Sanofi's, yes. Sanofi's one of the ones that got elected to make this COVID uh, serum or whatever it might be. Uh, the last few times I was there, Gary, it was limited only to the boiler room. So any mm -hmm. of the work that I was doing in there was strictly in the boiler room. I, I, to be honest with you, at Sanofi, I've never been out in their plant to see their applications. Now, I know Armstrong has a number of heat exchangers that are in there, and I'm not sure if they're process heat exchangers or they're heat, mm -hmm. HVAC heat exchangers, because again, they don't let me out there too often in the pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's talk about something more fun. Let's talk about beer. <laughs> <laughs> How, what, what are we using steam for in beer? Is it is it just like the bottles to sanitize them, as you said, or or is there more to it than that? There is a little bit more, but you're, you're right on. Uh, the bottle returns. We all get our 10 cents or 20 cents back on our bottles when we return them. And these need to be sterilized. Now, they're typically sterilized with a caustic solution. So steam would be involved in heating up this caustic solution to wash the bottles, um, rinse them out. And again, more steam would be used on the, on the rinsing agents and on the sterilization of just raw, raw steam to dry them quickly and then off to the other part of the plant to be refilled with beer. Um, and mm -hmm. that's really all it is, would be sterilizing the bottles for steam. And what a better way to sterilize than than uh, to use steam. Much like, uh, do you have kids, Gary? I'm not sure, when they were babies. Yep. Yes, I do. I yes. remember, well, my kids are, I am a grandfather now, but um, when my kids were young, my wife used to use the dishwasher to clean the bottles, and that was back then, because it was as close to sterilization as we could find. Because the temperature that would be in the dishwasher was far harder than we can hand manage with our hands in um, yeah. in a sink, right? My my son mm -hmm. and daughter in law who have a new baby, they actually have a a little compact sterilizer that actually steams everything internally in a few minutes, and bang, they got a nice dry bottle to give their baby right away. Quick break, guys. So for those of you that are thinking about or have purchased the Testo Scale, the new one, the five six zero I. You're going to want to get your digital manifold and the app and do an update on your manifold because in your manifold, you've got different measurements. Like you can do evacuation, you can do pressure tests. So you have to add that weigh in or, or that scale 
uh, portion to it. And you can't do that without doing an update from the app to your manifold. So I found that out the hard way and I found out that I didn't have auto updates set in the app. And, and that's a good thing to turn on. So anytime the, the manifold and the app are on and, and they're synced together, it'll just do an automatic update. So that's, that's pretty cool. And I want you guys to remember that going forward. So JB Warranties, guys, is a program that offers warranties outside of the OEM warranty. The compressor dies, the heat exchanger goes uh, after the OEM warranty expires, but you have JB warranties in place for your customer, then that is covered, right? They also reimburse labor up to $300 an hour and have a 14-day turnaround time on claims, so you get your money real quick. That's good for business owners. The other thing I want to talk about here is Company Cam, another, another app that helps organize for business owners and, and the team as well. So let's say you have an install team, they go out and they're doing like a custom home and there's many moving parts. There's an HRV, there's ductless splits, there's um, there's maybe a centralized system, whatever you're putting in and it's like a, a month long job. Well, any picture, any voice memo, any video that your team takes on that custom project, you can go in and just check out the progress without asking them for an email, without asking them for a text message. And you can go back and look at those whenever you want because they're stored in the cloud. They're not stored on your phone. So anyone, anywhere in the world, you can, you can have access to this information. That's what company cam does. So if you want to get organized, check them out. The other thing we're going to talk about real quick is the yellow jacket. Mano basically is a dual port manometer wireless you use with the Y jack app. And it comes with not pitot tubes. A lot of people think they're pitot tubes or not. They're static pressure tips and tubing. So you can check static pressure. You can check um, total external static pressure across air handlers and whatnot to make sure that uh, the ductwork is is not restricted or designed correctly. So check that out from Yellow Jacket. Yeah, we'll go back to the beer. And, and again, the, 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 the steam usage in, in the brewery industry would first off and first most would be to sterilize the bottles, as we mentioned. Uh, they use a caustic solution, just like a, let's call it soapy water or a caustic water solution that they heat with steam, get it piping hot to be able to clean the inside of these bottles. They rinse with steam heated water and they even dry these things with a, a bath of live steam just to get them dry and ready for, for bottling. Okay. Mm -hmm. They'll get recapped and so on and so forth. The other part of steam for brewing, uh, Gary, would be the pasteurization, which is just um, basically... <laughs> we, when I was with Spirax Sarko, we even studied back to the Babylonians that used to make beer because, and they used to drink beer instead of water because it was the only clean form of, of, of water that was available at the time. And when I studied on it, the, the amount of beer that the kids and women and everybody was drinking there to have pasteurized clean water, they would have been hammered most of the time. And that's a many, many years ago that they created pasteurization. Mm -hmm. So, Pasteurization basically is just cleaning up. You're, you're bringing the temperature up of the beer up and up and up to a certain point where it's pasteurized. It's clear of any diseases and bacterias, and it gets reproduced that way. Um, also for beer is, I don't know if you've ever made your own beer at one of those brew your own places, Gary. Um, I have a few times, and really it's a big copper cooking kettle that is jacketed with steam. Okay, so the steam does not come into direct contact with the beer, and it never should, because the boiler water isn't exactly 
perfect. Mm -hmm. It's going to have chemicals in it and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. So just visualize a big copper kettle that's got a welded jacket around it. So the steam in the the steam would go inside the jacket and transfer into the copper kettle and into the beer. And I remember making my own beer back then, and it was you had to bring it up to temperature and then bring it back down again, and then bring it back up again and bring it back down again until it created what they rephrased as a wart. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, depending on the hops and barley that you're using. It created a wart, and at a certain temperature and a certain amount of times that you did that, it gave you the flavor and the taste, depending on the, the brewmaster. And believe it or not, in most boiler rooms that I called on, Gary, the, the main person would be the chief engineer for the boiler room. Well, in a brewery, he's second in command. The brewmaster is number one. And whatever he says goes. And if he wants more steam and he wants more temperature and he wants more hops and he wants more barley in his beer, he's getting what he wants. So he's got his little recipe book. So every beer could be a little bit different from the next one. So temperatures could vary. Amount of times to bring the temperature up could vary. Um, it really depends on the brewmaster's recipe book. Interesting. That's that's right. Yeah, I, I know all about the brewmaster and, and how they're the boss uh a hundred percent i've actually thought man that would be a pretty cool job to just go in and, and make beer <laughs> make beer every day but it would be i guess it, but it, like it everything really else would it, it would get boring after a while but it would be kind of cool to do that and and master the craft right because you're always trying to tweak and just get better especially the the microbreweries and stuff they're always kind of tweaking and trying to get better you know what i mean Absolutely. My my wife actually uh, works for a small boiler company and they cater to the microbrewery industries. And they because my wife's company helped them out, they, they gave us uh, come on in and have dinner with us. We'll give you a tour. And boy, it was great to meet the brewmaster because he had a ton of questions for me. How come I can't get to this temperature and what am I doing wrong with this? And he really wanted to know more about steam. And I didn't think a brewmaster would even care, but he sure does. It's critical. Even two degrees can make a big difference for these guys. Um, it was very interesting. And there's these microbreweries popping up all over the place. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't require an engineer because typically in a microbrewery, the boilers are quite small um, where they don't require an operating engineer. So usually the brewmaster is operating the boiler and he gets to know the plant pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, what fails, what works, what doesn't, what's leaking. Um, can I do this faster? That's the other big thing is batch process. Well, I'd rather be able to make six batches of beer a day instead of five. How do I do that? Well, let's raise the temperature. Let's clean up your steam. Anything's possible if we change the piping. And typically, it's just a piping change or a little bit of a different way to pipe things that makes a huge difference in the system. So that's that's a good question because you brought up piping. I was going to ask you that, and then I forgot you brought it up. Most of the time, we're talking stainless steel pipe in a process steam system not so much for the steam being delivered because okay. most again most cases with brewing beer the steam doesn't come into direct contact okay. with the beer okay so they can still use schedule 40 schedule right. 80 uh iron pipe but the systems that's feeding the beer from say a cooking vat to a heat exchanger for pasteurization that's always going to be stainless you're right on mm -hmm. and it's going to have special connectors as well, that doesn't allow grooves to collect bits of debris and wart and hops and stuff. So it's perfectly smooth inside that pipe so that it doesn't 
create a spot where it's going to have bacteria. So your, your question is right. And piping is critical. Now, the beer side of piping would not be my expertise, Gary. Mm -hmm. But the way they feed steam into the vats or into the jacket of the vats is critical from my end of things where, like I said earlier, we want the steam as dry as possible. We want it air-free because air is an insulator and it takes up room. So we want the best quality of steam and piping can make that difference. If you have too many dips and valleys, that can collect water very fast. And again, it's going to impede on your temperatures and the quality of beer will be, be compromised because we didn't quite get to the temperature that we wanted to. Okay. No, it makes sense. And since we were on the topic of piping, what about accessories within the system that that help the, the steam arrive or, or help be, besides a steam trap, of course, any accessories in the system that help out with, with the functionality of a, a steam process steam system? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, again, as mentioned, any low spots are, are collectors of water. You want to get rid of those. Even something as simple as a filter or what I would know as a Y strainer where the belly of the strainer sits below the pipe. You want to, tweak that out on its side so it doesn't create a natural pocket because especially microbreweries, Gary, they're not running 24 mm seven, -hmm. they batch process. So sometimes their system is down and then it's up for two batches and then it's down again. So it's real easy to fill up the system with air and water particulates and fill up the little pockets of water. So watching the pipe, sizing the pipe is also another one. If, uh, Let's say I'm this wide, Gary. I, I'm not going to fit through a door this big. And the same goes for steam. I need to size my pipe accordingly to pressure and uh, velocity. Okay, so again, high pressure steam, I can use smaller pipes. Um, but we want to size that pipe correctly to carry the full capacity that they require to do the job. Mm -hmm. Okay, so also things like air vents, which are typically at the top of systems. Um They'll prevent the air from sticking around in the top end of a steam system, and you want to disperse that air. Sometimes we need to break vacuum because of where the, the, the cooking vat itself might be temperature controlled with a control valve that's feeding the steam in. Once it reaches this temperature, the control valve should shut down, but the steam doesn't stop coming. So we want to get rid of that, that water that the steam is producing. We want to get rid of the air, and we may have to use a vacuum breaker to snap the the vacuum because you know what happens in a vacuum nothing it just stalls yeah. we're not getting rid of the water it's just stagnant it stops mm -hmm. so breaking the vacuum allows at least it for it to self-drain so we want our piping to be laid out and designed for that it's almost self-draining you want the steam to flow towards your process and your condensate to flow back towards your return if you're returning your condensate yeah okay so what if you're not returning your condensate how are we getting rid of it um, you can, those people that don't return their condensate back to the boiler is, I'm not going to say foolish, but it's an awful waste of energy and money unless there is a fear of contamination. If that's the case, then I understand why people would dump it into the sewer. But you need to cool that condensate down before you dump it into the sewer, or the Ministry of Environment will be on your back for dumping in too hot a water, which can carry disease, bacteria, and so on and so forth. And they do monitor it. Now, when we return our condensate, which most larger breweries do, microbreweries, some of them do, some of them don't, um, it's a, 
a, it's a huge savings in water, energy, chemicals. I can go on and on and on. Um, plus, my boiler doesn't have to work as hard because I'm sending it back very hot water to start the process to turn it back into steam again. If I got to start from cold feed, it takes that much longer. And it's hard on the system to go from cold to hot like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you said that dumping hot water, I, I don't know if this is a, a question about about steam. I guess it is. You're dumping hot water if you're not returning sure. it back to the, the boiler. And you said it can create diseases and stuff. Like, what do you mean that hot water can create diseases? Is it because when the hot water if, mixes with the cold, something happens like in, in the, the sewer system? Our, our Ministry of Environment has a code that you can you cannot drop water that's too hot okay um initially steam's going to start at 212 degrees yep. and it's going to give up its heat pretty fast ideally if i'm sending it back to my boiler i want it about 180 degrees going back to the boiler so it only has to go up uh like you know 22 degrees to turn back to steam if i'm sending it down in the sewer at 180 degrees i will be fined mm -hmm. by the ministry of environment mm -hmm. Now, is it disease and bacteria that they're concerned with? It would be this person's opinion that that is true. Um, I'm not sure of what other reasons they have for monitoring condensate going down into the sewers too high. Mm -hmm. It could even be for plastic pipe that could be in the ground, um, sewer grills that might not hold up to those kinds of temperatures. Um, it could be many factors, actually, Gary, but I'm not 100% sure of all their reasons. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I've never heard of a, a steam boiler system with the condensate venting to, to the drain. I've, I've never heard of that one before. I've always seen it come. It's, I've always seen it come back to the boiler or maybe some steam vented to the atmosphere just to as a relief type thing. You know what I mean? Yes, you're absolutely right. Usually the condensate recovery tank or the feed water tank is also the same kind of system. Mm -hmm. It's usually vented to outside atmosphere. Yeah. And really all it is is, you know, when we're, we're in the morning when we're shaving, Gary, and we turn the hot water on, you can see that mist of steam coming up. And it's it's really steam, but it's at atmospheric pressure. So what we're, what that venting is doing is it's coming back with steam, condensate, hot condensate, back to the, to the feed water tank. And it needs to vent outside or this thing will turn into a bomb. Um, also, it lets the customer know or the brewer know that if he's oh, I'm terribly sorry, if they're uh, if they got leaking steam traps or they got a problem with their system, their their condensate recovery tank will be too hot, and they can monitor that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if they got a trap failed or they got a pressure reducing valve failed, they'll know uh, just by the temperature that's going back into the into the makeup water tank, we'll call it, or the condensate recovery tank. Mm -hmm. But you're right; most people return their condensate. Most of the problems in steam system come from the wet side, which is the condensate side. The steam side is fairly straightforward. It's what do I do with this condensate? Get rid of it quickly. Where do I do with it? How fast do I get it back to the boiler room? Those are usually a problem. Okay. There. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense from what I've seen and heard from from other techs out there. So we can be we can be safe in saying that process steam is either to sanitize something or to heat up a product to a certain point to pasteurize or or heat up, cool down for whatever flavoring type thing. So basically sanitization or heating up a product are the two main factors. Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah. It's, it's one of the cheapest forms of heat transfer 
on our planet today. And I can't think of anyone that's that's more versatile or cheaper than processed steam. Um, mm-hmm. Where else can you find that? I mean, you can almost boil gasoline into steam, I suppose. I wouldn't want to do it, but uh, water is uh, plentiful. I mean, it is costing more today <laughs> than it ever did. You know, yeah. um, it, it, it again, it's a cheap form of heat transfer that you can get so much energy out of it. Like, just to give you an example of condensate side, Gary, I can take 100 PSI steam, utilize it in my kettles, and that condensate is still under pressure. But before it goes back to the condensate recovery tank or the makeup water tank. So that could be 50 PSI condensate, which is really steam. So if I drop it into a lower pressure zone or a pressure vessel, I can turn that that medium pressure condensate, poof, back into steam again and use it again for free. Then I can take that medium pressure steam. I can do the same thing again after it's been used. Drop it down to 15. Again, boom, free steam. I can heat my building with it. Wow. So it's extremely versatile. Yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. That's 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 some smart thinking right there. It's uh, you know what, they do a lot of that in the corrugated cardboard industry and in the paper mill industry. Right. Where they, it's called cascading. Um, and I think there was a big pulp and paper guy out there called Cascade. There was, yeah, yeah. And it really is. You probably remember it, right? And it's high pressure going down to medium, then down to low pressure and so on and so forth. And they can use it many times. Um, it's quite brilliant. I love seeing it. It's a lot of piping and it's an initial upfront, very big cost, but it really pays for itself fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Okay. So what else, what else can we cover that if we haven't covered it yet, what is the most important thing about steam we haven't really talked about yet or have we? We've covered some basics, mm-hmm. Gary, and steam is, I'll be honest with you, when I started learning steam, I was very young. I was about 19 years old, and I was five years into it selling full-time for Spyrox Arco before it really clicked in my brain. Um, I didn't go to school. I'm not an engineer that way, I, although I did go to school for stationary engineering, just the modules, mm-hmm. but it was five years before I was comfortable with it. Um, even something is what I consider simple as heating and HVAC steam. You still needed to know that this steam is going to turn back to water and it's going to give up its heat and it's going to go back to the boiler room and do it all over again as a cycle. Okay. (laughs) Some heating systems that are out there, they're not even steam, they're glorified hot water, but they still produce enough heat to keep an old church warm or an old community center warm. Mm -hmm. So we've really covered a basic foundation. Hopefully your listeners may have some questions that we can field another time. Um, I don't know how that works, Gary. Again, I'm a new guest here. Uh, do your do your listeners send in questions, or do they have inquiries, or well, do they want to learn something about uh, steel making or something like that? Yeah, mostly. If if I were to post a clip of of this conversation uh, as we're talking, if I post like a one minute clip on a say Instagram, and people find it interesting, they will start to ask questions there for sure. Yep. Okay, that's awesome. Because when I when I used to teach this at Spyrox, and I did a little bit at a few other companies I worked for, I used to leave it up to the customers or the people in front of me that are dealing with the steam and allow them to ask the questions instead of me rambling on because I could go on for hours. Mm-hmm. And to say, what, what troubles you in your plant? What is in there that makes you nuts? What is in there that you think is totally inefficient? Let's go take a look at it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's visual. It's very visual. I think with technology today, Gary, I might be able to get away with it a little bit more that I could be on somebody's phone and they're bringing me into the problem. But again, I can't touch the pipes. I can't spit on them. I can't spray a bottle on them. I'd have to be there live to be able to do that for them. Yeah. Very, so, very interesting. You know, cool. It, 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 it was, it was exciting. Um, when I was a young man to, to see how cheese is made and pickles, um, get pasteurized basically as well. Um, heat transfer again in most things. Um, chemicals is another big usage of steam. Steel making, uh, car parts. And most of the car parts and steel making is washing and cleaning. And uh, so it's prepared for a galvanized coating or a tin plate coating. It needs to be perfectly clean. Mm-hmm. And they use a lot, they used to use a lot of steam to do that. <laughs> It's, it's nuts. It's, it's kind of opening up my eyes to the fact that steam probably in manufacturing is used probably way more in in heating buildings these days. Right. Would you say? Yes. Yes. I would say so. That's just my opinion. I think there's still a lot of heat out there. And in your, um, uh, professional job, you probably see more of it than I do as far as steam heating. Um, I'm now do mostly hydronics. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is again, you know, hydronics pretty good, Gary. It's it's the same thing, only we're using hot water instead. And it's but it's a completely different dynamic, completely different set of rules, completely different maintenance schedules. Um, it is a, a different animal altogether. Mm-hmm. And you would I thought, you know, going from steam to learning hydronics would be a piece of cake for me. Well, it was not. Um, it was very trying for me. It's like yourself, Gary, a refrigeration mechanic typically has a real easy time with steam. Because it's the opposite of what you were taught as a refrigeration person. It still cools and it's, there's a condenser and an evaporator. It really is just backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that refrigeration guys had a grip on it better than even guys that went to school for their third class and fourth class. Well, yeah, because steam engineering. Yeah, because we we learn the how um, vapors and liquids react to different ambient temperatures and and the heating of them and and how they cool so i could see how refrigeration tech could really pick up steam the steam theory very very quickly because it kind of relates right absolutely my next door neighbor is like yourself gary he's a hvac g1 a refrigeration mechanic and he was really interested in working on steam boilers and it came easy for him uh, because he did have that that uh, that background or that uh, foundation that he just had to think it through uh, and you know how critical it is that your pressures need to be right on for refrigeration and your temperatures need to be right on. Mm-hmm. And you need to clear the condensate quickly or you're going to flood the A-frame coil and you're not going to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. Right? You're going to be trying to cool your house and it won't keep up. Yeah. So it really is very, very close. So if you have a lot of refrigeration customers that are listening in, this should this, this dynamic should come a little bit easier for them. Yeah, 100%. So I, I got to thank you for your time tonight, Russ. This was a great conversation and it opens to my, my eyes to that steam is just more than, than heating. It should open the audience's eyes too. And, and uh, I th- thank you for your time tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure and I enjoyed myself thoroughly. I, as mentioned earlier, I, I feel an obligation to give some of the stuff back. I mean, you can't really do too much in a half hour. It's very difficult, mm-hmm. but I think we got, you know, at least some thoughts across that open up people's minds now i don't know how many of you out there work on steam for heat 
but process that's an even smaller niche or smaller industry i think but it's still good to know it it's still good to know what it's for what it's used for because knowledge is power guys i preach this somebody asked me the other day should i um i got my hvac license and all that kind of stuff i can't remember exactly how the conversation went but they're like should i concentrate on plumbing too and and my answer was knowledge is power right knowledge is power the more you learn the better off you are the more valuable you are wherever you go so i got to thank russ one more time that was an awesome conversation also thank you once again to the master group i'm out happy hvacking hope you enjoyed the show follow hvac know it all on instagram facebook youtube tiktok twitter linkedin and anywhere else gary feels like popping up this has been a two smokes and a coffee production